This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill and I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Thomas, Adam Jones and Dan Buckland to look back on Everton's disappointing defeat to Arsenal on the final day of the Premier League season. We'll be taking a look at the starting line of Frank Lampard up to, to, to pick, the changes he made, the defeat in general and where it leaves Everton heading into the summer break. But Adam, I'll start with you. Contrary to belief, there was actually other games going on yesterday except the ones at Griffin Park, Turf Moor, yeah. Anfield and the Etihad, of course. Yeah. Everton were in action at the Emirates. They brought the curtain down on the Premier League season. Mm. And I think to the surprise, absolutely no one, it was another disappointing defeat on the road for the Blues. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I wasn't watching that game. <laughs> to be honest, it was it was a very strange experience being a uh, you know almost stuck in the press box watching uh, watching that match. To be honest, uh, yeah, like listen, it was always going to be the case, wasn't it? I think you know me and Joe were talking about this when we were on the train back yesterday. Thursday night was just so physically, mentally, emotionally draining for everybody who was involved. You know, even even the players who didn't get onto the pitch on that day the celebrations and the kind of scenes that you saw after that match. It, it just felt like a pure release of emotion, a huge weight being taken off the shoulders. There was absolutely no pressure going on to Everton. Heading into this match, there was still a certain amount of pressure on Arsenal, I suppose. They, they did need a miracle uh, if they were going to be able to secure Champions League football, but they still had that little, little sliver of belief, I suppose. So uh, it, it was always going to be the case that Arsenal were... We're going to be the team up for that game, and uh, as you say, I don't think there was any real surprise that Everton did suffer a defeat. The, the manner of that defeat is still a little bit disappointing, especially after going into half time. I don't think they necessarily played well in the first half, but there were moments here and there. And to go into half time two one, you actually did start thinking to yourself, oh, you know, there might there might actually be something in this if they can if they can step up a gear in the second half, but. Uh, it was Arsenal who stepped up a gear. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about set pieces and formations and all that a little bit further on down the line. But you, know, you find it hard to be too disappointed about that loss, to be honest, because as Frank Lampard, I think, quite rightly said after the game, Everton's big match was on Thursday. And it was so it was so draining in so many aspects that I think it was always going to be hard for anybody in the squad to really properly pick themselves up and knit themselves together to try and go again. Uh, for Sunday's match, so you know, on this sort of one-off occasion, uh, I think you can kind of let them off with that one. Joel, you was also at the Emirates for, for the Echo for covering the game yesterday. And Frank Lampard said in his post-match press conference that he just felt yesterday was a step too far for a side after they won what he described as their cup final on Thursday against Crystal Palace. But to lose five-one and to lose the way they did, it, it gives them plenty of food for thought as they head into the summer, the summer break. Yeah, it really does. I think that, you know, yes, there was a degree of inevitability about yesterday's performance. I think once, you know, once Everton had obviously secured the survival on Thursday, and you know, this, you, we have to remember that obviously it's been a grueling campaign anyway, and Everton have been hit by a lot of injuries, but this was the fifth game in 14 days for a side that's been playing under a huge amount of pressure for, for so long. So I think that there was always going to be a degree of kind of, you know, after the party um, for, for Sunday. Um, and especially when we saw the starting lineups and just how many changes had been made, obviously some through injuries, some through exhaustion. You know, Frank didn't say it after, but I'm sure there must have been an element of kind of just giving a few players a run out one last 90 minutes, um, you know, without the pressure of the relegation battle, just to see if he could learn anything going into the summer transfer window and, and the rebuild that we all needs to happen. And, you know, I take his comments after it at face value that it wasn't really a situation where he could learn much from. You know, it was a 5-1 defeat. It was a poor performance. But, yeah, they were still in at half-time. Yeah, they were tired. You know, yes, it was a, a, a patched-up squad playing against a team which, to a certain extent, had something to play for. But I also do think that whilst, you know, there are a lot... Whilst the context of that result is, is very important, it was another glimpse that perhaps the second string isn't perhaps as as competitive as... as and might need, you know, to avoid the situation going into next season. You know, the reality is that one of the lessons of this season has to be that you can't 
you can't rely on 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 your, your first team players being fit for large chunks of the games. You're going to lose some to injury, and then you know how good are those replacements coming in? And you know, obviously, we saw yesterday. You know, it's a talented Arsenal side. It's a young Arsenal side. It's a good Arsenal side, but they really did cause Everton a hell of a lot of problems. And it was five one. You know, yes, it was only two one at half time. Everton did have a couple more chances. They did get a foothold back into the game after being dominated at nil nil, and then the penalty just kind of killed off that that momentum as they were grown into it. But you know, it was five. It, it could very easily have been seven or eight. Really, Begovic made a couple of saves or a couple of scrambled last minute clearances, and Arsenal did miss a couple of good chances as well. So, you know, I do. I, I understand what happened yesterday and I don't think anybody should read too much into it. But one of the kind of side effects of it is just another reminder that, you know, we probably do need to make quite a few changes in the summer. Gav, Joe says there about, you know, not reading too much into yesterday and, and on Friday you kind of feared the worst a little bit for this game in terms of after the euphoria, <laughs> the euphoria Thursday night and, and, and already yeah, confirmed yeah. their place in next season Premier League. But, do you think it was it was quite fitting, wasn't it, that the Blues, given all the problems they've had on the road this season, ended their season on the road with a, with a five-one hammering in the way they did? Yeah, a bit like was it five-nil at City last season? Yeah, twelve months ago. I mean about that subsequent campaign. Yes, that's to remind me of that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> you appear to be the common thread. I, <laughs> uh, I was the common thread throughout this season, Gavin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, 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 but seriously, yeah, thankfully five was probably, you know, lucky. What did Arsenal have, 26? Effort Yeah, going back to this point, yeah, it just shows the weaknesses in the team that we all know about. To me, just reinforce what I said at the start of the season, that our biggest area of weakness is at centre-back, you know, um, which is an area that needs massive, you know, work done on it over the summer and I think I, I, I do get the argument that we didn't learn much as much as I said on Friday that I wanted to see a professional performance and all that it was quite obvious early on that that wasn't going to happen in terms of the players being too tired and emotionally drained after five games and 14 days as, as Joe said so yeah um it, it, it just reinforces the stuff that we know that we've conceded is it 66 goals is it Something like that. Yeah. Record for the 38 game game Premier League season. Tell of a lot. You know, and that's that's what we've got to stop next season. And yesterday the only reinforced that fact for me. Adam, Frank Lampard, who you know, mentioned in his press conference on Thursday after the Palace game that you know Evertonians braced themselves for changes uh-huh. on Sunday and, and changes he did make. Tom Davis, you know, was the, probably the surprise one given. The, 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 the kind of way that the club was that his campaign was over when he picked mm-hmm. up that injury. Mm-hmm. John Joe Kenny come back in, Begovic was come back in, Dali Ali made a start, mm-hmm. Donny Van Der Beek come off the bench. In terms of the squad though and the way I haven't set up, was you surprised to see what Frank Lampard had done or was you was you expecting some football <laughs> the Blues was up to four? To be honest, I, I was surprised. I was a little bit surprised, but I was still I was still expecting sweeping changes across the team because I just think that, you know, as, as I say, you know, like speaking of, in purely a physical sense, I think the last few weeks have been really, really taxing on the players who've been starting week in, week out. So for the likes of Vitaly Mikhalenko, for example, I think it, he was just a, a given to be dropped out of the side and you know, handed, handed a well-deserved rest. Seamus Coleman's probably someone similar who, you know, really, really did deserve his rest as... Frank Lampard revealed after the game Richarlison was carrying an injury in the Crystal Palace game, never mind, uh, coming into this one. So, yeah, he's another one who certainly deserved his rest. But I was just a little bit surprised to see some of the players who did come in. Jared Brantwaite, I think, was a, was a given to come back into the side. I think he, he needed his minutes uh, after, well, after his, you know, a little bit unfortunate sending off against Brentford. I think he needed just some minutes under his belt, didn't he? I was maybe a bit shocked to not see some of the youngsters who were on the bench maybe given their chance from the start because, you know, they're, they're, some players, John Joe Kenny's come out of contract now. Um, I, I'm not sure what, like, if, he, if he's not going to be handed a new deal in the summer, 
I'm not sure what the benefits of playing him over playing somebody like you know Reese Welch play him at centre back, move Jared Branthwaite out to a, a left wing back sort of sort of role. It's not it's not ideal, but at least you're playing two players who are actually definitely going to be at the club next season. Lewis Dobbin is another one that I was a, a little bit surprised didn't get his chance, but at the same time, you know, both Delhi and Damari Gray didn't start uh, the other night, so I can kind of understand that a little bit. I thought Isaac Price actually did quite well when he came off the bench. He had a few little bright moments, a few little uh, late runs into the box, so maybe I was a little bit surprised not to see him. I was a bit shocked to see Decore start in the first place. Um, Lampard later revealed that he'd picked up an in, like a little knock in the warm-up, which is why he was taken off in the first half. He couldn't shake that off, but I was a little bit surprised to see him starting in the first place because he, you know, he, he put in a lot of effort uh, against Crystal Palace on Thursday. Uh, let's be honest, he didn't exactly play amazingly well against Palace or against Brentford in the previous game, so we was maybe a little bit surprised to see him start. Uh, I just thought that, you know, why not just give Isaac Price a run out? Because if you're going to make those sorts of sweeping changes to the side, why not just use it to have a little bit of a look at players that you, you know, that that you might want to use uh, next season? You might have a little bit of a look at them in pre-season, I suppose. But yeah, I think that was the only thing that surprised me. That in terms of making you know sweeping changes to the team, you know, as I, as I said at the start, I'm not sure Lampard was all that bothered about the result today. It was. You know, given given certain players a, a couple of opportunities here and there, I'm not sure many of them take took those opportunities. I would uh, I would suggest, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think I would maybe I would maybe just a little bit disappointed we didn't see more of the youngsters. But I think that's a, a very minor gripe in uh, in the grand scheme of things. Joey, in terms of if the squad, then uh, the the kind of look we got yesterday, maybe some of Everton's fringe players. Been on the bench so far this season. Was it an indication as to why so many of them players who played in recent weeks have been running to the ground because the simply the, you know the, the the talent and the it is not there that Frank Lampard's disposal and he's got to hang his hat on a number of, of players on a week on week basis. Possibly. I mean, I think a lot of, of what happened with the tactics in recent weeks was you know, one of the, the early criticisms of, of Lampard's tenure at Everton was the fact that he kept kind of changing things around, changing style, changing starting lineups and yeah, the you know, there was no consistency with the with the team and therefore you know, that might have led to inconsistency with some of the performances. You know, I definitely think there's a case of after the Burnley defeat in particular, you know, Lampard seemed to adopt a far more pragmatic approach and, and, and basically took on the view that you know, this is this is a dogfight. I'm in a dogfight, and I've just got to do whatever it takes to get out there. And for large chunks of that, that that included playing five at the back. That included playing Iwobi as a as a makeshift, you know, right wing back. And obviously, he stumbled across a formula that worked. You know, and it might have worked for a number of reasons. Obviously, a few good players came into form, and you know, some you know, Mina and Dalf, albeit briefly, came back from injury for long enough to spark a bit of a revival. Um, and also, you know, you had people like you know, Richarlison popping up with some important goals. You had a Wobi doing as well as he did out, you know, as um, as a defender. And you also had Vitaly Mikolenko emerge as a you know as a as a genuine first team player as well. So, so that all helped. You know, I think the some of the some of some of some of Frank sticking to that starting lineup would have been out of necessity because of injuries and and yes perhaps you know concerns over whether he could trust yeah. you know either the the ability or the condition of, of some of his other players. Um, but I think also it was it was probably just just due down to just trying to get consistency, trying to find find a couple of, you know find a system, find a group of players that could build some sort of rapport together and a system that seemed to function within reason, you know, in, in order to, in order to be effective. So, you know, when we, we know how bad the injuries have been this season, and when we, you know, even some of the decisions yesterday, well, it's emerged in the last few days of the reason that Alan hasn't been playing for, for quite some time is because he's been carrying an injury. Um, you know, it turns out Richarlison's been carrying an injury for a while. Uh, you know, and there, there's a couple of others. Obviously, Richarlison's been starting games, but you know, that gives us an indication why Alan has. We know why Deli Ali hasn't really been starting games until now, because obviously he's been 
coming back. So, you know, we know the issues we've had suspensions. And so I, I think there, there will have been a degree if he found a, a core, maybe 11, 12, 13 that he had trust in. Um, but also, you know, again, I think some of that, some of those people were just there out of necessity because of injuries and suspension to other people as well. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, you know, it's been a, a real problem for Everton all season, but once again yesterday we saw that they simply could not defend set pieces. Well, again, the downfall of, of a number of Arsenal goals. Paul Clements on the you know the sideline looked you know irate at what he was witnessing. We know he's been working hard on set pieces behind the scenes, but it appears the penny hasn't dropped. But that is one area of the game that Everton have got to get things sorted next year, haven't they? Because they simply can't afford to concede the amount of goals they have been from set pieces next season. No, well, I mean, Brentford was the same, wasn't it? I mean, Brentford was all the goals was like crosses. I know the first one was more of a shot, but not what crosses out wide. Uh, yeah, and that's, I mean, I don't know how many of the 66 goals you can see, how many of them fall into that category, but I, I would suggest it's a, a significant proportion. Yeah, this is basic stuff, isn't it, really? It goes back to what I was saying, that if Mina doesn't play, we haven't really got a dominating centre-half, and that that should be the priority during the summer. That's the starting point. I, I, I do wonder whether you can, I mean, I, I'm just thinking now, I mean, a home record up until Brentford in terms of conceding goals under Frank was quite good, wasn't it? I think we'd only conceded three in seven Premier League games. We conceded as many against Brentford as what we conceded. Yeah, we did in seven games beforehand, hasn't it? So it's not necessarily all season. It's just a certain point. And I'm prepared to give a little bit of leeway yesterday because it was the last game of the season and everybody's a little bit chilled and probably a bit tired and concentration goes a bit miss. A key point in the season that has cost us, it could cost us daily at the end of the campaign if it wasn't for the, the comeback against Palace. Um, yeah. In answer to your question, I don't think it's going to, it's something that can be worked on with the current centre halves. It's just an area, going back to what I said before, it's an area that we probably need two centre halves for me next season. Adam, Gav says they, you know, ever need two centre halves next season. Is that a, a Everton's main transfer priority, do you think, sorting that? Just the centre back position out on the pitch, or do you think there's there's bigger problems that lie elsewhere? Well, it's something that I said in the immediate aftermath of yesterday. I really think it depends on what kind of system Frank Lampard, well, Kevin Fellwell as well, I suppose, uh, actually want to take Everton forward with in like into next season and beyond. Because I think, you know, we 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 did switch to this five at the back system a few weeks ago and it did work for a couple of matches but i think it's quite clear to see that especially once you take away a couple of the the first team starters everton just don't have the kind of squad that's going to be able to compete with this sort of system as it stands so whether you're going to make a lot of signings to be able to fit that system or maybe change the formation and then you make signings to fit that system i think that really changes which sort of positions that you that you target and i think i agree with gav that center back is a major major priority especially when you consider yeni mina's injury record is he going to be is he going to be staying on but i think you know just how important that is really depends on whether everton are going to be playing three center backs next season or whether they're going to be playing with only two primarily because it, 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 it it's, it's it's just really hard to try and assess that otherwise so i think we're i think we're stuck in a position at the minute you know as people analyzing the club and you know as supporters where you just don't know where everyone's priority positions are, are going to lie right now because you just don't know what kind of direction the club is going to be going in at, at the minute because if we're you know if we sign you know let's say two or three center backs and then we only play with two center backs next season that seems like that seems like a bit of a waste to me when, when, when we're probably going to have limited uh, funds in terms of transfers. You, you need to try and prioritise other positions as well. So it is just really hard to judge at the minute. I think Everton are certainly lacking quality in terms of their centre-backs at the minute. And I do think the, the set-pieces and the way that we're defending them, our concentration on those set-pieces in particular is just so bad. The, that that it, that kind of exemplifies just how much Everton do need to improve in those sort of defensive 
Uh, Centres, yeah, Everton conceded the most Premier League, the, the most set pieces in the Premier League last season, which is, you know, it, it, it's just given, it's literally given opposition teams goals on a plate, essentially. It, it, it makes it, it makes it far too easy, and it's no surprise to me that Man City won the league, haven't conceded the least from set pieces. You know, obviously they probably don't give away as many corners and free kicks as Everton, but you know they, they still realise how important it is to not gift uh, teams the, an advantage in those sorts of scenarios. So, yeah, I do, I do think signing centre backs is probably key for Everton, but uh, you know you could make the argument for you know signing a striker is probably key, signing midfielders is certainly very key. I'd say signing wing backs is probably key as well. You know, it's <laughs> you, you, you could genuinely go through the whole squad at the minute. So it, it, it's just it's just a monumental rebuild that Everton are, are facing at the minute, and it, it's going to take a few transfer windows to get it right. It's going to be it is going to be interesting to see uh, which ones we prioritise over the course of the next few weeks. I suppose. Joe, you know, Adam touched on it there in terms of you know bringing new players in and in a bit to fix the problem. And we know Paul Cannon's been working hard on working on set pieces on the training ground, both you know defending and attacking. Would you think Everton have just hit the point same as the current group where there is no return, no matter what Paul Clement done or worked on? Everton was best to concede from set pieces because the confidence was was so fragile when the ball was in the box. You know, I, I think this group of players are carrying a lot of the you know, the battle scars psychologically of of this season. You know, I feel, and we have to remember that this coaching team have come in midway through the season as well, so they haven't had a pre-season to work. You know, again, Lampard said this yesterday, you know, the nature in which they arrived meant that it was very much a fixture schedule, just went game, 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 game. So Everton, apart from perhaps on the international breaks, but then of course they lose a lot of players that go off for, you know, for the, to play for their national sides. You have a situation where they haven't really been able to kind of just take a step back from everything, adopt a plan and start to really put it into action without the pressure of A, a relentless run of games and B, those relentless run of games being you know, under the pressure of a of a relegation battle. So, you know, I don't think that the group of players there are beyond help when it comes to defending set pieces by any stretch of the imagination. But obviously, uh, you know, some key decisions need to be made, really. The most obvious one has already been alluded to is the future of Yeri Mina. Obviously, he's on the contract at, at Everton and he's, you know, he's Everton's best centre-back when he's fit. Um, the question's got to be, you know, if he's still at Everton next season, how much faith you put in him playing a lot of games? Because if, if you think, and th- this would be a slightly foolish approach, it feels at the minute, if you think that he could play 30 games next season... Then you might be able to, you know, build, build, build around in there the the apparatus within you know, much of it within that squad to better defend against set pieces and things like that. If you don't think he's going to be able, to, you know, we'd still probably need another centre back to do that. But still, you know, if you don't think that Mina's going to be fit for most of the season and you have to rely on him as you know he's a bonus when he's available, then then obviously you need to completely reevaluate. Where the squad is at, what its strengths and weaknesses are when it comes to, to set pieces, and and try and figure out a way to deal with that. And it's hard to see how that goes anywhere other than trying to sign centre backs. Gav, obviously, you know Adams touched on on him already, and Josh has touched on him as well. But yeah, you mean it is a real conundrum, isn't he, for Everton this summer because he's got one year left on his contract. We've seen this season; he's injury prone. He can't get him on the pitch for more than you know two or three consecutive matches. Joe just said there in terms of you know, trying to bank on and two play games, but does history suggest that Everton are better just cashing this one on Mary Mina and moving on and both going their separate ways? Uh, several movable parts here, isn't it? Um, first of all, if you're going to sell him, what value would you get for him with a year left on his contract and his injury record? Two, his wages, he's one of the highest earners of the club, isn't he? You know, possibly the two or three highest earners of the club. So somebody has got to take him off your hands. And just, I'm just wondering whether if nobody comes in for him, given his injury record and and his wages, whether the club may turn around that it might even be worth just having him playing ten games next season. 
you know, if if you can, you know, rather than take a take a loss. I'm also thinking about he appears to be a huge influential player off the pitch, doesn't he, Mina? That you can't you can't quantify in terms of squad morale. So although to me it, it makes financial sense and let's let's not talk about our finances, please, to, to sell him, that there is also a counter argument to say that actually if if a deal that doesn't cut doesn't come in that suitable for the club, actually keep him and just manage him over the campaign. I know you're left with like not getting anything for him at the end of the next year, but there's an argument to say that if you can, we can manage him and just play him in the big games and the ones that are most important. If you have 15 games out of him next season, it might just be worth, worth it. So, I've managed to convince myself that that the easy answer to this is not necessarily just sell them because there's, as I say, several movable parts within that. Somebody's got to buy him and somebody's got to pay his wages. Adam, you've already mentioned that you think it'll take a couple of transfer windows for everyone to get things right. But most fans, and the talk of most fans for a long time, I was being that a squad overhaul needs to take place and it needs to start this summer. Mm-hmm. And it's vitally important that everyone try and move out some of the dead wood that is in their squad and, uh-huh. and look to bring some fresh younger faces in and, and get the ball moving as fast as you can. Well, yeah, 100%. The, the wage bill in particular has just been absolutely grossly inflated over the last couple of years in particular, hasn't it? I mean, it's a, it's, it's just been scandalous on how much wages has been you know, wasted on, on players that are just not getting into the team. I mean, I suppose... It's probably to be harsh to bring him up in that sense straight away, but you know we've had the news today that Cenk Tosin has said he's, uh, you know, his time at Everton is has come to an end at the end of his contract. Absolutely, no surprise for surrounding that at all. I think he got maybe fifteen minutes of action this season. That combined so, fifteen so, minutes, yeah, combined fifteen minutes of action this season, something like that. And I mean, I know he's been recovering from injury or and, and stuff like that, but it's been. It, evident for the last three years probably of his four and a half year stay at Everton that he wasn't going to be good enough and but that's the that's the kind of situation that Everton have played themselves into you know signing these players on on inflated wages and we've been struggling to get them off the books and this is this is the situation that the club finds themselves in at the minute and you, you imagine that there will be a lot more departures not just players who are coming to the ends of their contracts but you know, Everton will be trying to shift a lot of other players who just aren't, you know, pulling their weight for the amount of wages that they're picking up week by week. And, you know, that's something that the fans have been uh, wanting for a long time. But, yeah, I suppose it's easier said than done, isn't it? You know, the financial situation as it stands at Everton is is what it is. And we all, we all, know, we all know that Everton just need to chop this wage bill as much as they possibly can. But it's all about... You know, as you know, Gav has often said over the past weeks, months, years, <laughs> it's, all, it's, all about, it's all about finding clubs that are actually going to take the kind of players off Everton and, you know, whether they're going to, like, they're probably not going to offer wages even in the ballpark that Everton are offering them. So it is going to be a really, really difficult sort of situation. It's a bit, bit of a baptism of fire for Kevin Felwell to come in. And he's going to be, you know, you expect the man who's going to be leading a lot of these negotiations, who's got to be like, right, okay, I've got to find, I've got to find a new club for this player, I've got to find a new club for this player, I've got to get try and get this player in at the same time. It's going to be such a busy time for him and Frank Lampard, of course, working with him as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in charge. <laughs> Let me put it that way. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. As it makes a really good point there, doesn't he, in terms of finding clubs to take some of these players? Because when you look at some of these players, you know, you look how poor Everton have been this season, the position they found themselves in, you know, the position they ended up in, which is, you know, 16 is still not acceptable for Everton Football Club, given the way that's been put in. But some of these players haven't even been able to get a game for Everton this season. So in trying to find, offload them, it's a lot it's a lot easier said than it done because clubs won't be queuing up around the blocks to take some of these players of Everton's hands because there'll be major question marks over many of them. Absolutely. And similarly, there'll be players on the books that won't want to move just for the sake of it because they're on such lucrative contracts as it is. And 
you know, at the end of the day, the, the club agreed them with them and committed to paying them throughout the length of that contract. So if someone's, if someone's, you know, we as, as, as football supporters might look at it and think, oh, surely you'd want to go somewhere to get game time, you know. But, you know, you can understand from a financial perspective why, why players might not want to go. They might not want to take a cut in wages and things like that, whether, you know, whether we like it or not. I think, yeah, one of the the most pertinent examples of where Everton's uh, recent transfer record uh, lies is if you look at the accounts and the, the, the £170 million so far that's been attributed to um, to COVID losses. And, you know, a big chunk of that has come from basically the club saying we haven't been able to capitalise the value on some of these players that otherwise we would have wanted to have got rid of um, because the transfer market stagnated as a result of as a result of COVID. Um, and the reality is, well, if, 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 if Everton were relying on getting rid of some of them players to, to help make the accounts look slightly better, um, yeah, they shouldn't have got themselves in that situation in the first place. Uh, and we're going to see the impact, the knock-on impact of that for quite some time because, again, you know, if you are a player who's perhaps approaching, you know, maybe not the end of the career, but you know, the beginning of the end of your career, a, a massive contract at, at Everton and you're thinking you're going to take a massive drop in wages to go anywhere else, you know, maybe you would hang on for another year, see out the contract, take the money and then think about where you're going to go after that. You know, I think the reality is that, and I think this is something that Everton fans are going to have to to bear in mind over the course of summer and the January transfer window is that all the business that Everton do is going to have to take place within a wider context. And that is going to be, well, we might, ideally, we might want this player to come in or a player in this position to come in, but we might have to get rid of this person or these wages first. And there might be a degree of having to essentially compromise and say, Okay, well, I, in an ideal world, this player wouldn't be in the squad. This wouldn't player wouldn't be our second choice for this position. But we can't afford to move him on. No one else will take him, and it's financially it just ends up making more sense holding on for him for another year than having to pay money to get in someone else and pay their wages and end up with you know three players in that position, for instance. So, you know, there's, there's no doubt that Lampard and Farewell have got a very difficult job on their hands. And I, I don't think they should be judged too harshly on what happens in the transfer window this, this summer. That's not to say that they shouldn't be held responsible for what happens on the pitch come August, because the other part of their job will be getting the most out of whatever it is, whatever resources they have at their disposal. But it won't be their ideal score this isn't football manager you can't come in and just say right 15 players out of the 25 I don't want any more I'll do whatever it takes to get rid of them because I'm playing with fake money and then I'll bring in a completely new set of 15 that, that I want this is going to have to be a rebuild that takes place over several different transfer windows and the reality is that if we get to this point we might not really be be able to see the full shape of of what Falwell and Lampard want to bring to Everton and how they want to play and who they want to play that style with, probably until the beginning of, of, of the next season after this one coming, providing obviously that everyone's still there from a Finch Farm perspective. Gav, you know, Joe says that it's not football manager, but Everton fans will be expecting to see something from Kevin Falwell and Frank Lampard this month. They'll be expecting wheels in motion, plays out, players in with a clear identity. And a clear way of playing, you know, on the pitch for all, for all to see. Yeah, um, I'm too old to play football manager on, so that's way over <laughs> my head. That, that type of stuff, you know. Um, I'm sure you'd do yeah. a great job if you could. Yeah, <laughs> but it goes back to what Joe's saying there. It's 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 enormously difficult to do because you're relying on get, you know, there's two or three. Pl- uh, there's two or three players there actually that probably won't go because the wages are too high. You know, Gomez being one of them. To, to be honest with you, one of the benefits we've had, you probably would have, up until about March, you would have said the Wolby was probably in, in that category, wouldn't he? But one of the, but, but hopefully, the longer term benefits over the last couple of months is that a Wolby is a player that you want to keep rather mm. than thrown into that group of players that are not going to do a job for you, they're too expensive, and not going to be taken by anybody else. So, um, on the and we don't want to get into why the finance stuff of profits and sustainability. 
In simple terms, the club needs to move on. I would, and I've said this before, two of its three saleable assets are probably going to have to go, aren't they? For fees. Assuming that there's, a, there's, there's people there that we're not going to get rid of. And so that's two out of Richarlison, DCL and Pickford. You'd, you'd actually say a, a saleable asset that he has been injured is, is probably Godfrey. Um, so we're only going to move on if we get decent-sized money of that of two of those three players and are, and are able to invest that money in the squad and that's it we're not going to be able to 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 maneuver things out and make meaningful differences if we retain our three saleable assets and and that that's that's the conundrum isn't it uh, for us i would imagine one of them well if, if rumors are to be true maybe two will will we'll be moving on anyway in the summer because they want to um, and uh, that, that's the thing, isn't it? Really, going, going back to, to Joe's point about 2023, it, it, that's going to be the case. Um, even if you do get new players in during the summer because you sell to your saleable assets, so um, that that's that, that's the that's the thing for us. That's the the only way we're going to move on, isn't it? Is is two out of DCL, Richarlison, and Pickford have moved on? For decent money, Adam, you've already touched on him, but we have had one Everton departure already there mm-hmm. today. Jean Tosin has, has left the club or will mm-hmm. leave the club when his contract expires. Mm-hmm. He posted a lovely message on his social media accounts for all Evertonians if they've not had the chance to read it. Yeah, um, it was a big move, wasn't it, when Tosin first arrived and it was one that promised so much, but in the end, it delivered so little. <sighs> yeah, Jean Tosin's arrival will always stick with me. Getting announced at half time of a Merseyside derby. We were losing. That, like, that, that kind of summed up what, what was going to happen for the next four and a half years, really, didn't it? I mean, it, 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 it Chen Tosin's most fruitful time at Everton was that second half of that first season that he, that he joined the club. He scored five goals in 13 or 14 games, I think it was. Uh, to end that camp- campaign, and I, I do remember thinking in the following summer, you know, he's got his got his feet uh, got his feet under the table now. Maybe he'll be able to uh, to kick on a little bit in the next season. And again, he, he only scored four goals in twenty nine games in the next season. Uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin kind of came through in that in that time. Uh, Richarlison joined the club as well and kind of took up a lot of the limelight. So uh, it, he's just constantly seemed to be on the back foot at Everton and found it a little bit difficult to really assert himself and prove himself. And I would usually have a little bit of sympathy for somebody in that scenario, uh, but he cost the club 27 million. And he's been, you know, he's on a not insignificant amount of wages in that time as well. And obviously, you know, injuries have kind of stood in the way of him getting a permanent move on occasion. I think by all accounts, Crystal Palace were going to be lining up a permanent move for him if he did, hadn't have picked up that anterior cruciate ligament injury. Uh, Besiktas have obviously always been interested in bringing him back on a permanent basis, but that's the kind of finances behind the deal, I, I, I imagine, are probably what, what stood, stood in the way of that. But, yeah, I, I, like, I do kind of find it a little bit hard to feel sorry for him because he has been, he's been picking up a lot of money for doing not a lot. At Everton over the over the past few years, and that's that's the that's the long and short of it, really, isn't it? Uh, and it, it kind of summarises the problems that Everton have had over the course of these few years. He arrived for a lot of money, he got paid a lot of money, he didn't really give that much back to the club, and now he's he's left. He's made just sixty one appearances over the course of four and a half years, and you know, granted, a couple of loan spells were involved in that, but that's. That's just not. That's just not a good return on your investment, is it? That's a. That's a really, really. That's a really poor signing for for the club. So there'll be a lot of Everton fans who are happy to see Cenk Tosin gone, and I, I can kind of, I can kind of understand it to be honest. By all accounts, he's a he's a lovely man in terms of, you know, his relationships with the with the squad and you know his his message to the supporters kind of sums that up as well. But in terms of signing for Everton Football Club and what he's given over the last four and a half years. It's gotta it's gotta be it's gotta go down as 
as one of the worst, really. Probably not the worst, uh, but you know, for the for the return on that investment, it's just been it's not been great. Eleven goals, eleven goals for probably over if you're including wages as well, over thirty millions worth of investment. Nah, not great that. Gav, Marco Silva, clearly didn't race James Olsen, neither Carlo Ancelotti, neither Rafa Benitez, and neither the Frank Lampard. It's quite time, isn't it, when a manager's when a man four different managers, permanent managers by I had don't fancy the same forwards, isn't it? It's quite telling when something like that. Yeah, happens. I think some of that is down to injuries. He's one of them who's who's suffered as a the constant change as a manager, hasn't he? I mean, if rumours are to be believed, he was I think it was Kerman. Wanted them, wasn't it? And only bought them because we'd got so far down the line. Got, yeah, that 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 that, that uh, Cumin had gone and Allardyce. So he does appear to be an Allardyce centre forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens. It's just. I mean, one of the things we say about like losing, we losing four players in the summer. They were out of contact. Not only do you lose your wages, you used talking finance. You lose the transfer fee, amortised transfer fee. So Tosin's probably costing us six million a year because of his transfer. So we're basically going to get, you know, 10 million a year back off him, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think his first game was it was it Spurs away. Was it 4 0 at Spurs? And so that's not a great. 5 0, wasn't it? I think it was. Was it 5? I can't. Lost count. At Wembley. After the game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's what. If you constantly change your manager every twelve months, you still have Chen Tosin knocking around after four and a half years, don't you? Simple as. But he has been unlucky, and the, and the club's been unlucky because he he's had a, he's had a couple of injuries, hasn't he? That maybe stopped him going. But he's gone in the summer, and uh, and obviously a nice guy, but not good enough. And um, I'm not sure whether you know. It, it, I don't know whether we did due diligence in terms of his signing. You know, I don't know how we managed to be signed, you know, looked at by one manager and then another manager has to sign him, you know. This is probably a story there. But yeah, hasn't worked out. 11 goals tells its own tale for what, 40 million, probably more more than 40 million in terms of transfer fee and wages. Yeah, pretty sum was up the last four and a half years, wasn't it, for Everton? Joe, away from the football, there was a, a big story involving Everton that first broke on Friday evening and then again. There was an update that followed on Saturday afternoon in that Burnley and Leeds have both wrote the Premier League over Everton's finances and, and their accounts and they're not very impressed and they don't believe, should we say, you know, what was what's in Everton's accounts and how the Premier League have, have, have kind of passed by, you know, Everton's accounts in regards to financial fair play, etc. This was quite the story, wasn't it, to drop just before uh, the final weekend of the season and it, it's, it's been taken in different varies, should we say, across the football landscape. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it was quite a story to drop on Friday as we were still all celebrating, you know, the heroics of Thursday night and the you know finally guaranteed Premier League status. I don't think too much should be read into them, to be honest. The club is is absolutely adamant that it has complied with everything that the Premier League has asked it to do, and it says it's it's opened its books throughout the process. Um, Premier League have declined to comment on it, but they've never said otherwise. Like they've never called out Everton and said, you're lying. We, are, you know, we, we haven't been working with you or anything like that. Um, obviously, the, the numbers look bad on, you know, when, when, when you first view them uh, in, in terms of what is allowed over a three-year period and what isn't. But there are, so there's a substantial number of, of Deductions have been taken away from from the losses for various reasons. For, you know, things like expenditure on the stadium, um, as well as things like COVID losses and that as well. Yeah, at the end of the day, and I think this was all the all the articles were very carefully written, and it seemed to be that the complaints and the threats were as much to the Premier League as it, as it is to Everton. Um, the implications seem to be really, especially when you take on board. Everton being so as firm as they are that they've got no case to answer that that really the question perhaps is less about um, how Everton can is, is less is less about Everton and more you know the, those football clubs asking the Premier League how could it be possible Everton how have you signed off these things why aren't you investigating them rather than it is for, for Everton it, it's itself so I think that's what they they seem to be after transparency just how was this allowed to happen the, you know, the details of the of, of the finances and the calculations and things like that. 
I don't think it's going to be anything to worry about, certainly in the short term. You know, if this is something that goes on and on and on, then, you know, it ends up in court for whatever reason. Well, it's not going to be something I don't, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to affect Everton's Premier League status because as we all know of anything that gets to court, it tends to take, if not months and months in, you know, years to, to resolve. So I don't think there's anything to worry about from that in the short term. I think it's a degree of, you know, sides worried about their own Premier League's five and the impact on its finances of relegation, worrying, you're basically flailing around and looking for any opportunity to, you know, potentially find something that might help them. It, it would be interesting to see how far Leeds pursue whatever case they think they've got, um, unless this is like a PR strategy. It will be interesting to see if Leeds continue to follow through with that case now that they know that they are um, safe in the Premier League. And that will probably be the biggest indication as to whether or not yeah, there is an element within the legal, within the, the, the football legal world that thinks ever might have a case to answer. Because if Leeds just pull out just because they're safe, then I think we'll all know that, oh, actually, this, this might well have been a case of we're doing everything that we can to try and you know boost our argument and our survival chances. You know, Burnley may well continue, but you know, Burnley have, have, have got a lot of their own financial issues now that they've been relegated as well. So I can, I can understand why it's caused a lot of consternation. Um, and, you know, as, as we wrote in, in, in the open letter on Friday and as I've alluded to previously, you know, the state of the accounts and the way in which that element of the club has run, you know, cover nobody in glory over recent years. And, and they are a cause of the concern going forward, including over, you know, and they'll have an impact on this summer transfer window and, and transfer windows to come, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But judging by just how adamant the club is that it's complied with everything and and, and, and the kind of the, the fleecy word in some of these letters and, and threats and the context of the timing, um, you know, coming just before the last weekend of the Premier League season, I, I don't think this is something that's going to be something that we need to worry about too much in the short term. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Adam? I know we touched on the open letter on Friday, but I want to return to it now. You know, the, the piece Joe wrote, you know, taking aim at the board and, and in the club and, and you know, certainly far up and share himself in terms of the way he's conducted himself in the business on behalf of the club so far this season. Now the season has finished, Everton needs to start, you know, showing signs that, you know, lessons have been there, don't they? And that history won't repeat itself and that things will be put in place to make sure that what we just all endured over the last eight months will never be repeated again. Mm. And it all centres around open communication, really, doesn't it? I think that's one of that's one of the things that has been, you know, very noticeably absent over the course of this season in particular. I mean, I think I think we all know the reasons the Farhat Mashiri's been keeping away uh, a little bit more than he usually would over the course of the over the season this year, you know, after all, all the uh, stuff with Usman Arf a couple of months ago, I think you know, he's just trying to keep us Keep his head down and stay away, and you know I, I can kind of understand that in a sense. But you know, it, it, I, I do find it a really a little bit weird that Farhad Mashiri hasn't seen Frank Lampard as Everton manager on the touchline yet. He's he's not been he's not attended one of Frank Lampard's games yet. I find that a little bit odd. Uh, we haven't heard from Farhad Mashiri as far as I can remember since Frank Lampard was appointed either. And um, you know, they, they, these are the kinds of communication. That, that Evertonians need, you know, now that the dust is going to settle over what has been, you know, a really dismal, dismal season. I think Evertonians just need to hear from the people in charge about the direction and the strategy that's going to happen in the future, you know, whether that be from Thelwell, from Mashiri, from Denise, you know, anybody, anybody and everybody has, has certainly just got to keep this as open as they possibly can to, you know, really just keep keep these supporters updated on, on what's actually going on behind the scenes because, you know, they, they, they've been, you know, sort of blindly following the club for, for far too long, going, you know, travelling across the country, you know, week in, week out, going to all these away games, going to go to some park every week, packing it out. And they've just been, like, just had this sort of blind optimism that, you know, things will work out and that the club are doing the right things. But I think it's been very obvious over the past well yeah particularly if not you know much longer that things have not been going right they have not been run well 
uh, they, they need to absolutely learn from the mistakes that they've that they've made in the past and said like in just a pure footballing sense have a clear strategy sign players that are gonna fit into that clear strategy don't let your owner go and sign whatever players that he wants come transfer deadline day like it, it, it it's it's very simple stuff at the end of the day but it's the kinds of th- the pitfalls that Everton have been falling into over the past few years. You need to trust in a process. Don't be, you know, thinking that European fights are, are on next season. It doesn't. It doesn't need to be like that. It just needs to be sticking to a system, believing in it. Just make some incremental improvements. You know, as long as there's improvement and a clear direction and strategy, that's going to be a success for Everton. I think next season. And it's just got to be this, this you know, more patient, slower build. I know patience is something that really isn't prevalent in modern day football, but Everton just needs to have that. It's just been far too much chopping and changing over the last few years in terms of playing staff, the playing squad, in terms of managerial staff, even in terms of directors of football. Now, there just needs to be some sort of level of stability, some sort of strategy going forward, and that constantly needs to be communicated to these supporters as well because the supporters are the club at the end of the day they deserve to know the ins and outs of what is going on what they're buying into over the course of the next few months and the next few years of course uh the club seems to be doing that on on a well they're very good at doing that on in terms of you know stadium updates and stuff like that i think they, they need to do that in terms of you know actual on the pitch in the boardroom sort of matters as well Gav, you know, surely now is the time has come for Farah Pashir to, to stick his neck, up, neck above the water and give Everton fans an honest update, you know, be open with them and communicating and explain things from a you know a professional point of view because, you know, it's almost the silence has been deafening, hasn't it, so far this season, you know. We, we hear about we hear from him when he's discussing about the European Super League, we hear about him a bit by talk yeah, sport, yeah. he's giving rapidly as his full back and you know, he's quick to, you know, tell the world certain things when he chooses to but in terms of actually communicating with his football fans directly it's something I just seemingly evades yeah I was thinking about Bill getting stick a couple of weeks ago over us congratulating the supporters you know sometimes you're damned if you do if you're damned if you don't aren't you at the moment with communications from the club yeah I agree I think it's strange that he's not was it Watford's the only game you've been to this season was it yeah 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 to be fair, I'm not surprised he hasn't been back <laughs> after that debacle. Um, yeah, you wonder where we are and Farhad's priority, priorities within his business portfolio at the moment. That's the one of the concerns I've got. Um, bear in mind, he's obviously got bigger issues. Maybe that's um, stopped some of the stuff you're talking about. But yeah, I would... Well, once the dust has settled, I'd, I'd be... I'd be getting something out of fans uh, over future direction. I mean, to be fair, we've got this to see ongoing, ongoing strategic review. That's been, you know, that you've seen some changes from that. Don't as I said before on the podcast. Don't expect to see some glossy, you know, documents and you know, uh, PowerPoint presentation. You know, you're going to see the changes in them on an ad hoc basis. So, um. You know, we've seen that already with the academy, with Unsworth going, with Thelwell coming in. There's interesting into it, Thelwell the other week, where he mentioned a technical committee, which I don't think mm. we've ever had. I don't know what that is. Well, I, I have an idea what it is, how that's going to work. So there are changes. What I think leading that change has to be something from Farhad. I haven't gone through the season we've had. And showing some direction for the future, and that's what that's what supporters want, and I think that's what supporters should be given. Uh, to be honest with you, and I find there's there's deafening silence, slightly worrying over the last four or five months uh, for a number of reasons. But yeah, you, you are right. But we are making changes, though, aren't we? Off the pitch, going back to Adam's point about future direction and things that've got to happen. But there's a lot more work that needs to. Joe, just to finish then, you know, in terms of Farhad Mashirian, and Adam's touched on this already in his bit, but it's vitally important that he leads Everton through a, a, a stage of progression with stability, doesn't he? You know, you know they, it's been four and a half years of turmoil, you know, chaos, 
you name it, Evertonians have seen it over the last couple of years. But now's the time for him to lead the club as as, as owner and with them people around him, you know, on the executive board through a period of a progression, but with stability as well, and, and that Everton get back to you know being competitive and, and being you know a mid a solid pre Premier League team, which we've seen they can be, or you know before. Yeah, that's it. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, in 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 some respects, almost the slower the rebuild is, the more successful it will be, because if any, if the last six years of the t- teaches anything, probably the worst thing that we, I mean, obviously, is a different manager, a different director of football who, who might find the magic formula for signings. You, you never know, but going and spending lots of, I mean, even if they had the capacity to do so. Um, under the profit and sustainability rules, going out and spending under fifty million pounds on three big signings um, probably isn't the way to go. Actually, what whatever it needs to do now is it needs to be a long-term build where they change the culture of of, of everything at the club. Really, obviously, we've seen the beginnings of that already. You know, the strategic review seems to have led to some changes that appear to be positive. Splitting David Unsworth's uh, role into two, for instance, you know, so academy director and under-23s manager. Um, you know, the appointment of Lampard and, 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 and Thalwell as well, you know, it's clear that whatever they need to build towards is is not just a situation where they're competing at the right end of the league, you know, whether initially obviously for things like you know, top half and you know, maybe things like Europa League and Europa Conference League. Whatever it needs to do is, is, is it needs to be sustainable progress. So it needs to be the academy, so that we're constantly producing players that have got an op- that have the opportunity and the ability uh, to make an impact on the first team. And if they don't have that ability, perhaps more financial now, so that you, know, you look across the park at what Liverpool have done over the years, the amount of money that they've earned from players that weren't quite good enough to make it to their first team. Well, you know, it's a significant revenue stream if we can't offer some of those players a pathway into the first team. So I think that what would be handy for everyone is, is again, Adam said it, communication. Just where are Everton? What are the short-term ambitions? What are the baby steps that need to be taken to, you know, event, you know, to then pave the way for the bigger steps going forward? And then they're going to be in a difficult situation next season. I mean, it's, it's, there shouldn't be a season like this again. Like it should, there's, there's no excuse really for it being as bad as it was. I know you have injuries and you have a couple of external issues and that as well, but it still shouldn't have been as bad as it was. But whatever they're going to struggle, perhaps, what Lampard's going to have a, a big task overcoming next season is that, that, that block of mid-table sides that are... Probably, you know, I think it's fair to say over recent years have perhaps been more strategically run. You know, you have the likes of your Brightons, you, you know, your Brightons, your Crystal Palaces on the Vieira now. Um, you know, you have your your Wolves, you have your um, obviously teams like West Ham, who your know, teams like Leicester that have just been quite well run. Have got managers that know what they're doing and are just further down that line. And you look at them and you. you have a bit of confidence they're probably not going to be in a relegation battle next season so you yeah, ever have to start the process that gets them to the point you know where we're all happy like you imagine those clubs are on top of that you know in that tier between about seventh and and, and 13th you've also got villa and, and and newcastle obviously newcastle are going to have bucket loads to spend and anyhow is is a good manager and you know villa have already started their transfer business and have a bit of money so Simply getting everything in order perhaps isn't going to be enough to kind of really make Everton competitive. Um, it might just, but but what? And I think Everton fans will accept that if people can just be honest with them, and explain what's coming and what what needs to be done. If next season has to be simply a case of you know what, first things first, make sure they're better than the free sides coming up and Leeds and maybe Southampton. And anything else is a bonus, all right, that'd be frustrating, of course. It's, no one wants to be going to season thinking, especially like this, thinking that the, the 14th or 15th is, is a success. But if it's 14th or 15th and you know the finances look a lot better and you can see a tactical 
Um, you can see tactical progress, and it's 14th or 15th, where we're 15 points clear of the relegation battle come the end of the season. And actually, March next year, when you're know, safe by March next year, and then there's a lot more players fall out of contract, and Falwell and Lampard have got their feet under the rug for a lot more, then can do the real business because there'll be a real clear out with the contracts that are ending. You know, then. And that might be the point where you make the jump from 14th to, to, to 9th. And then it's, you know, I think communication is just key. I think I think that's what it needs to be at the end of the day. I think they need to just be honest with everybody about what is coming next and what the short-term goals are. And if they're honest and they can see that the club is actually, everything's pointing in the right direction and the progress is being made, then I think the fans will find it a lot easier to accept whatever whatever progress is. Right, gents, we will leave things there. We will be back towards the end of the week to shoot the fast a little bit more on Everton's campaign and where the club go next because there's plenty, there's plenty for us to get stuck into. It's been, it's been quite the season for us to reflect on. Um, but for today, Joe, Gav, Adam, thank you very much for joining me. And to the listeners, thank you very much for joining and listening to what we've got to say. You've been listening to the Road Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.